Okay, the first thing you're going to realize about this podcast is we're not afraid to admit our mistakes. I have to throw myself on the mercy of the court today and admit I've made my first mistake. I had an amazing interview with my boy Jay Stallings and I did not push the right button and and 58 minutes of content is lost forever. It was a great conversation. So we're going to re-record next week and I want to invite you to come back next week to listen to that. So to fill in the dead space, we're going to drop the second sermon of our Faith to Fruit series. This one's titled, Oh Taste and See. I've wondered how many people, how many people have flocked away from the church or have zero desire to be around Christians because of the way we act. What if our perspective of Christianity in the negative, oh, mo mums, isn't drawing people in? What if people are looking at God through a different lens because of the way we act? Let's check this because if it's really good enough, then shouldn't people have a desire or want to check this Jesus thing out because of the way we act? Listen to it with us. God bless and let's go. I see you. Yeah, you. Flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases? A one-size-fits-all quick-fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. Well, I want to invite, we have some new faces, those that have been with us, those that haven't, into this sermon series. It's entitled, From Faith to Fruit. You know, just as God's really been stirring in my heart, looking at the greater church, the kingdom, if you will, that's bigger than Greenbrier Community Church. I know we have some visiting from other churches. It's bigger than your church. It, it should be all the same thing, but tragically, it's not. But I've just begun to survey the landscape. And I, I, I was raised in churches, man, where the gifts of the Spirit was at the forefront of everything we did. It was the driving force. We went into church just knowing without a shadow of doubt that the gifts of the Spirit were going to be manifested, and whoa, it was awesome. So awesome that all week, Monday through Saturday, we had to get right back into the flow. I never stopped to wonder then why those gifts didn't manifest during the workday. Things that make you go, hmm. Because then I thought, wow, how different would it have been if I would, when I was in the Navy, if I would just walked into a regular day at work, got there a little early, because you're, you're not early or late. I don't know who came up with that, but 
stumble in at 5.30 because we had workout. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. It's the same old, same old. We're preparing to go out to sea, and the, the sailors would rather be home with their families or rather if they're single, doing whatever they do, and we all know what that is. We're not going to go down that road. <laughs> Trying to find a wife. Hey. What if on those crazy Tuesday or maybe ho-hum Monday or whatever it is, in that space, somebody comes in and it's like, man, I, my back is really hurting me today. And you're like, oh, this is the atheist one that always talks about, doesn't know who God is. And then all of a sudden, this Holy Spirit in you says, why don't you pray for them? <laughs> God, do you know where I'm at? Like, it was awesome on Sunday when everybody else was doing it, and it was just, woo, lost in the flow, and we were just in worship. But here, huh, how much more impact would it have had in that moment if you would have said, I know this is going to sound really weird, but can I pray for you? And then you prayed for that person, and healing occurred. And you know good and well it's not you because you know all this is what I brought to the party today. I'm like, all I got, God, but you told me to do this, and this is crazy because this is what this job requires. And it was in that space that God did something, and the gift that he gave you did something bigger than you could ever imagine. It just didn't convince church people again and again that there's a God who gave us gifts it opens somebody's eyes to how good he is in spite of who they are and what they've done. See, the church, in many cases, we've even become divided over the gifts. We have some who, mm, the gift's worth for that time, and if you're in that frame of mind, that's okay too. Holy Spirit will open your eyes, hopefully. I just can't imagine that the reason that he gave the gifts in the New Testament to the church of Acts was to introduce people to who God was to the Gentiles, right? The church of Acts was for who? The Jews, Jews or the Gentiles? The Gentiles. Jesus came for the Jews. That's what the gospel is for. Get the Jews right so we can take it to the Gentiles. Are we as the church now ministering to the Jews or the Gentiles? And that's a tricky question if you really get down to brass tacks, but the majority of the people are Gentiles. So the gifts he gave to the first church to minister to the Gentiles, if we're still ministering to the same group, why are the gifts just magically gone? That puts so much value into those 12 individuals that they were the only ones worthy to do the gifts like Jesus did. That puts the church back in this place. We'll never be capable of this. This was the disciples. This is what we got to get. This is not my notes. And I, maybe I'll get to my notes. Maybe I won't. This is the transition piece today. I don't know. If you're new here, it's a journey, people. Pick up your load and walk with me. I promise we'll get to a space. And last week, we got out early. So the gifts have become the driving factor, but realistically, if you look at the teachings of Paul, although he talked about the gifts, the importance of the gifts, in scriptures, he talks about the importance of the fruits to go along with it, because in other words, he said that a prophetic voice is just a loud clanging symbol without love. 
It's a loaded gun without aim. And we love to walk into a room full of church people and just whether we love them or not. But it requires a whole different level of love for somebody out there that who doesn't understand or probably doesn't like you all the time to give the prophetic word, to give a healing. So we're going to go down a road today. I know Galatians talks about the fruit. So I'm going to, I don't even have that scripture up here, but I'm going to read it real quick because this is where we're getting to and going to get to. Eventually, we're going to talk about the fruit. But then God says, no, just keep pushing it down the line because there's things we've got to establish before we get to the fruit. Y'all with me? You ain't got to lie. It's okay. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about this last week. The fruit of the Spirit is not one of these things. It's not... An individual tree with this fruit hanging off. So you got to have this many trees. The spirit is this crazy tree where all this just grows on it. This is the very nature of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It requires all of these for the church to be as effective as it was called to be. As close to the glow, as close to the Holy Spirit as possible so we're going to get to these fruits more down the line, but I want to take us back to a space today because I begin to ask God this. So we're going from faith to fruit. And last week we talked about our decision, the decision that Adam and Eve made in the garden between the two trees and how we, in the, in the invitation into our own faith, that first moment we met Christ, we have that same decision. And it is to chase after the tree of life, pursuing this thing that's out here with everything that we have through Jesus, who was the living example of the tree of life. By demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, Jesus embodied the fruit of the Spirit, which is the tree of life. Or we accept the knowledge of good and evil, and then we allow our invitation, this connection with Christ, to be dictated by the knowledge or the finality of looking for something. So in the moment you meet Christ, you have knowledge. This is what you've obtained. It is a very finality. I know this much about whatever. I know this much about, just like I talked about last week, I know this much about the oceans. There's four. And then somebody tells me there's five. No, I reject that. That's how we become with our connection with Jesus is, well, I know this. And Jesus is now different than this. No, I don't receive that. I'll accept Jesus, but with this knowledge. It's releasing of what we know prior to Jesus, things we are, things we've been told we are, things is, this is good, this is bad. Rejecting all that, walking away from it, and it doesn't happen overnight. There's a trust thing that happens. But as we do and get closer to Jesus, we get closer to back to that tree of life on the other side. And that's when we begin to make the impact on the people around us because we begin to exemplify and carry these fruit. But I asked God, I said, but God, how do we get the fruit? Because I think we see it so many times as, well, I've got to start planting a tree. But it's not like that at all. The moment you accept Christ, the moment you begin to get in and realize who through the gospels, who Jesus was, 
realistically what happens is Jesus hands you this fruit. And he says, here, just take a bite of it. It's not that simple. So we're going to take it back to the Old Testament. And I want you to hear the words of the psalmist David. So in Psalm 34, one that we all know, Psalm 34, and we're going to read verse 8, but then I'm going to take you through a story of the development of this psalm, and then 1 through 10, we'll kind of read through it. But Psalms 34 and 8 will be on the screen. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If I stop and pause and do like this, that means you're supposed to say something. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you are good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, how many of you have heard this scripture before, quoted this scripture before? That's a lot of it. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know. This is one of those ones that we put on our fridge, right? As Christians, oh, taste the Lord and see. I've heard so many preachers get fired up in revivals. Oh, I wish someone whoo, would taste the Lord. And you would see. You know, this is not how David wrote this scripture. David was not dancing through the palace going, whoo. This moment happened in a very dark, murky moment. But it was a realization of something. I want to read all of this entirety first. And then I'm going to take you back to a story. Psalm 34, 1 says, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Then David begins to, that's just where this psalm comes from, this moment it comes from. And then David begins to write, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good Once again, we can take a passage in the, in the word and we can preach it. And depending on your congregation, your crowd, there's, if you've got a room full of church people that has been in church their whole life, whoo, you can get them fired up and stirred up. And before you know it, you just got a revival off that service. And then we expect people who don't know Christ to come in and just get lost in the sauce like we are. Right? But what was the state of David when he wrote this? It was a revelation of who God was. But you, if you missed it, there was a statement of who he was the moment he came to this recognition. In verse 6, it says, This poor man cried. In other words, 
when David come to this place of recollection, or revelation, he was a poor man. and Not poor in money, but poor in spirit. So I'm going to take you back to 1 Samuel where we're going to talk about this. And this can be a, a little deceiving if you start reading through 1 Samuel 20. Because Abimelech was actually the name of a priest in verse 20 who we see in interaction with David. And it's when David is running from Saul. So he shows up to this temple and Abimelech's the priest. And he said he can't tell him that he's out on his own, doing his own thing, running from Saul, trying to war back against Saul. So he lies to him and says, uh, I'm on a mission with Saul. Can't talk to anything, anybody about it. It's secret, but I need to eat. And Abimelech says, there's no bread here other than the bread that's used for the offering, for the, the sacrifice. And he's like, well, I got to eat it. I'm on a mission from the king, and the king hears from God, so I'm here. So he gives him the bread. But this is not the Abimelech that, Peter, or that David is talking about at the beginning of this passage. Abimelech means my father a king. And Abimelech is actually a term in the um, Philistines that is equivalent to Caesar or Pharaoh. It is the term that was used for any of the kings in the Philistine lineage. So when they said Abimelech, what he's saying is a king. So if you actually read that in the beginning of that psalm, the way it talks about um, the situation, it says this. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So after this interaction with Abimelech, the priest, we see David in chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20. One, excuse me, for chapter uh, 21. And it is verse 10. Okay, 21 and 10. So we see David fleeing from the temple that he was just at. And it says this, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So this is the Abimelech, the Philistine Abimelech, that he's referring to after we listen to this. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him and dances? So in this moment of need, we find David, who is need of support, military support, some backing. Saul is coming after him. So in David's understanding, David goes to the enemy and tries to get help. This could be a whole other sermon if you think about it. Because what he's going is to get what he knows. Military support from a military person, right? So then, in this place, Achish said, did they not sing to one another in him, of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. He realized real quick, oh, I am not going to get the help and support I thought I was. He's heard the stories, and now all of a sudden he's not going to be on my side, and I got to get out of here. So, verse 13, so he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. 
Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? In other words, he ain't as big as they said he was. Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So it's in this space, right after this scripture, we see David, because the next verse says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So now we find the status of David's mind that he wrote this song. It was not in a place, although he could have wrote this sitting in the palace years later, but where this came from was a moment of recognition of who God was in that moment. And it wasn't in the hands of his enemies. It wasn't from when I'm sitting in the, in the palace and I'm a king and I got it all in my hands and I can say on my throne that, whoo, God is everything. If you would just taste and see. No, no, no. It's bigger than that. I had to be in this space of not knowing to understand who he was. I want to take you down a road real quick. Okay. Is there anybody in here that has never eaten black forest cake? Okay. Black forest cake. Okay. Liz, I'm going to use you this morning, okay? Do you like chocolate? First and foremost, you're okay with eating an M&M. Okay. Let me describe Black Forest Cake to you. Black Forest Cake is this menagerie of chocolate. Let me, oh, chocolate spongy cake. Mm. It's a devil's food cake. Oof, there we go. So good. And then we take a nice icing of chocolate and we put it on there. And it, you, if the really good ones like the double and triple layers of cake, frosting, cake, frosting. And then on the top, to take it to a whole nother level, there's this cherry. And it's the ooey gooey cherry. And then you get that nice big cherry on top. You like chocolate and cherries? Doesn't that sound amazing? And it happened, I've, I've tasted this and I've seen, and I can tell you it was amazing the first bite I had of it. It was cooked so well. And then I stumbled on Valentine's Day upon this bag. I had to buy them for myself because my wife won't buy me M&Ms. Come here, Liz. Because I just want you to taste and see how good the Black Forest cake is. They're a little bit bigger, too, which really makes it. Oh, now you get three, so you get to taste this back to somebody, too. Taste one, and I want you to tell me what you taste in that. Cherry. Mm-hmm. A little bit of chocolate, but mainly cherry. Do you get the visual of the cake I described to you? Yes. Okay. So that's what the gospel has become to a lot of people is... Let me tell you, taste and see, because now you have something, a frame of reference, if you will. And I could go tell everybody about, now I'm not even going to tell you about the Black Forest cake. I want to tell you about the Black Forest cake M&M because I can just give this to you. You go buy a bag and you don't have to work for it. You don't have to put the time and effort to cook. You don't have to go to a restaurant and pay for it. You could just get this and be satisfied with this. It's good enough. But... My love for Black Forest cake didn't come from this bag. 
It came from a place of hunger when I was in a restaurant and I really wanted something good and sweet and chocolatey. And I read the, the, the account on the menu that told me this thing was fantabulous. And I had to have it. You can go sit down. Sorry. And you, you have to have a slice of it. And I ordered it and I saw how good it looked. And in that moment of hunger, I dove my fork into it. And I bit into it. And there was something amazing that happened in my mouth. So much so when I walked by that rack on Valentine's Day, those are coming home to me because I can't bake a cake all the time. But if I could just taste it, Are y'all walking with me? Because now I want to tell you what happens. When David was in a place of hunger, a place where he was about to get taken out, the numbers were against him. And in that moment, he goes crazy or acts like it and gets out of there. And God saves him in this moment. Now let's listen to the words of David. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, you don't even have to yell it anymore. There's a new thing that happens when it comes from your heart. Oh, Scott, taste and see that the Lord is good. I know you don't understand, and I know you have an experience like this, but I don't have to yell at you. I don't have to preach at you. There's something inside of me that is so bought into what happened to me that I come to you with a whole different angle, and I say, Eileen, I just wish you would taste it. I wish you would just taste it. See, I asked Liz if she liked chocolate before she ever come up here. The problem is, it's not people that like chocolate you're trying to talk to. It's the people who have never tasted, never seen, don't know what they're getting into. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. See, David is talking to the Jewish people. He's not talking to you and me. He's saying to people who have tasted, you have not tasted to the level I've tasted. You don't understand what I've experienced. But if we flip back to 1 Samuel 21, I want to show you, actually it's, first, it's 22. I want to tell you what this begins to do in the world around David. Because David just doesn't go to a cave and is just resigned to being in a cave. Look at what occurs. David departed. This is chapter 22, verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Here you go. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. See, Psalms 34 is not meant for a bunch of people that got it figured out. It's for a cave of broke, disconnected, defeated 
individuals in their life. And when this begins to come out of David's mouth to them, I can just see David around the fire with all of them standing there. And this, let me tell you a story about what just happened to me. But all ye who are broken, disconnected and hurt, you have to have this state of mind. It tastes this good. I will bless the Lord at all times. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. I sought the Lord and he answered me. This poor man cried. See, there's something that happens on the inside of us when we begin to taste and see the fruits of who Jesus was. It changes you. It changes the love you were told about. This is the problem with what's happening in the church. We've been told this is love. It can be manufactured in this little bit and you taste it and you've never had it. You've never experienced it and you taste it and you're like, wow, that's better than I've ever had before. But you only say that because you've never had the best before. The problem with the fruit in the church is many of us have never experienced the extent of it. And it's okay, because I've been there with you. As I was looking at these different definitions of fruit, the, the love, the joy, the peace, I began to go through my own life. And yes, I've experienced maybe love to a level and, and, and um, peace in some moments. But there's moments in self-control. I've not tapped into the full flavor. And the desire today, as we go into this, how do we get from faith to fruit? We have to understand we play a part of this. As we accept faith in the very beginning, now we just don't magically arrive at fruit. We surround ourselves with people who have tasted and seen, who have walked through the valley of shadow of death and had no fear for evil, who have set in the table, in the presence of their enemies. See, David wrote every psalm of this, not from a place of a throne, but of a place of in the mess, in the junk, in the stuff. There's a reason he was a man after God's own heart. Let me tell you this. After he wrote that, he still went, slept with Bathsheba, killed her husband, and had a son. Richie, what was the son of Bathsheba's name? Solomon. In the midst of brokenness and hurt and a, a mistake, Jesus did something. See, what I'm telling you today is we've become okay with the brokenness and the hurt and the minimal fruit that we have. But you know what? God is still doing things with it. And we're the ones that are left with the less than experience. I'm going to take you back to a, we just came out of this sermon series and we looked at the 11 statements that Jesus said throughout the gospels that said, I came to, and God really had me in that space as I've told you all this year is I want to begin to do and operate in the same space that Jesus came to. If I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to be Christ-like, 
then it's not just to be like him, it's to seek after what he was sent here to do. That's why he had the disciples with him for three years. I want you to see my ways so that you can take this to those who need it. That's my heart. I was wanting to chase after that. And there was 11, but we only preached on 10. And I didn't know how we'd connect back to it because we just moved right into this. Then John 10.10, excuse me, I'll read 10.10 first, and then I want to read 9.39. John 10.10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. We know that one. See, that's what happens when we begin to not only eat the fruit, we understand the abundance of that life, but we begin to live it for those around us and take it to us. Because the first fruit that any of us got, we didn't have to work for it. We didn't have to dig and plant. Someone, Jesus, gave it to us. And when we took that first bite, we wanted more of it. And maybe in the beginning, we just got a Granny Smith apple. And it was good, but it was sour. And then somebody handed us a Honeycrisp. Or as we began to work, we realized we could get better. And as we got more and more and better and better, we just had to have it. And all the seeds that were in it, we began to plant it and grow. Not so that I can just get fat off Honeycrisp, but I can take them to those who don't know. I never wanted to be a place that I could just take Granny Smith's apples to people. I don't like sour apples. Maybe you do. Honey crisp is my jam. That's what I want to take to the world. I want you to bite into it and understand what is available to you. But in 1 John 9, 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. For those who do not see me may see, and those who see may become blind. I'm going to say that again. For those who do not see me may see, and those who see may become blind. In the context of the scripture, I begin to think about this. In the context of the church, I begin to think about this. In Jesus' time and who he was talking to, what he was talking about was the people who should have known, the people who proclaimed to see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If you'd have talked to them in the day, the religious elite, they knew in and out what the word said. They should have seen. What Jesus is saying is, I came to make them blind. And all the ones that have been told they don't see, I'm going to open up their eyes in a way that they won't understand. See, there's a comparison there between the blind and those that can see. The ones who can see are always going to know you're blind. But realistically, you don't even know what seeing looks like because you're blind. This is what's happened with the fruits in the church. I know from experience, from my own life, I was raised with a certain explanation of what the church is and what you're supposed to do, and I did it, but I didn't understand it. You know, there's only one person in the Bible that fully embodies the entirety of that scripture. It's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was one of the religious elite. He thought he could see. And as he was walking down a path one day to go beat up the Christians, a 
A light shone in his eyes and scales formed and he was blind. And it was only through a connection with Christ that the scales came off and he was able to see. See, I pray today for the church, and myself included. God, if there's any scales on my eyes that will prevent me from seeking the fruit in its fullness, to being satisfied with the bargain basement version of what your fruit is, I pray that the scales would fall and eyes would be opened. Father, I thank you today for this group of people that you surrounded us with, that we've locked arms with. I'm so thankful for the battles and the struggles they've went through, and they're still standing. Lord, it's not a testament to who they are today, but a testament to how good you are. Father, I pray that this body of believers be able to come together as a family and lean on each other and learn from one another and grow so that we might take this message of hope of grace of mercy and healing to the world around us so that they might taste and see of your goodness I want to finish with this. I was praying on over Joseph this morning and it popped in my spirit. The prayer in Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend what to all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Father, we thank you today that you are a God that exists beyond our knowledge. whatever place we're in, that you are bigger than that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.